welcome to Uncorked, the podcast brought to you by Matt and Steph from Team Corker. And it's really cool to be in this practice of like generating content with you. Because, you know, sometimes we just work together and it's nice to actually be able to talk. And it's cool that our listeners get to like join in on that conversation. Well, I'm especially excited because today's conversation is um, from Steph to Matt. Oh, tell me more. (laughs) So one of the things that I am, or perhaps arguably one of the most exciting bit of our business is the program that you created in 2016 called the Manager Start Line. Mm. And the reason it is something that is very special to me is because this business was started as a recruiting firm, undeniably, unapologetically a recruiting business. And what happened when we partnered was you and I had the opportunity to say, what if we flipped recruiting on its head? What would it look like? Mm. And for context for our listeners, if you're not from Vancouver, there's 114 recruiting agencies in the city of Vancouver alone. And that is a lot. Um, when you go to larger cities in North America, there's hundreds of these. Yeah. And the root cause is that people don't love their manager. Mm. And the, mm. the root of that gives recruiting agencies an abundance of work. Yeah, because it's easy to pick up the phone and answer a recruiting a recruiter's call if I don't love my manager. Totally. Yeah. And of course you have to count on Matt Corker to come in and say, let's completely cannibalize this business that you started and let's do something about it. And it was the most beautiful lesson because as much as I love recruiting and I know it will never, ever go away and it will always be a core piece to our business, you said, I'm going to commit to creating something that can really change the game. Mm. And I love you for it. I'm unbiased, totally biased that it's the best out there. And what I also want our our friends to know is that this isn't a sales pitch for the manager start line. It just happens to be awesome. What this podcast is going to be about, mm. Matt Corker on the spot, Uh-oh. <laughs> is talking about your tips and tricks, your insight into managing three different types of people. Okay. Because what I think I know to be true is that managing high performers is, in fact, not easy. Not easy. (laughs) And managing, when managing people is going well, it's a lot of fun. Right. When the team dynamic is great, when everyone's having a good time, when the job is getting done, you're like, I'm an awesome manager. I'm a great leader. When managing people is hard, if I can say that, is when you're working with people that push you as a leader in different ways. And, and I want to talk about that today. So I've come up with three makeup people. Archetypes. Archetypes. (laughs) (laughs) And for the purpose of the podcast today, you have to play with my archetype. Okay. You you don't get to choose the archetype here. Okay. (laughs) This is indicative of our work relationship. (laughs) And the best part is that I don't know the feedback you'll have about how to manage these people. Okay, great. Okay. We'll play. Can we jump in? Yeah. Okay. So managing people is easy when it's going well. Yeah. Managing people is tricky when it's not. I have three tricky people that I want Matt Corker's insight (laughs) onto how to manage. Okay. And you can choose how to offer suggestions of managing these types of people. Okay. Mindful team, he's on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) So the first person, this could be a man or a woman, is the diva. Mm. And I just had coffee with a friend yesterday who told me that 
he used to manage teams of 300 plus people and it was in actually the gaming business. And he said out of 300 people, there were typically five divas. Mm. And a diva was someone who you could not get the job done without. Mm. They were the epitome of a high performer. And with that came the rainbows and sparkle that said, you need to praise the heck out of me. Right. The diva wants to feel loved and adored and sprinkle fairy dust on me all the time. Right. And he, as a leader, was like, it's so annoying because I have to give this diva so much praise, yet the job could not happen without them. Right. So. How do you manage the diva? Is that the question? That is definitely the question. <laughs> okay. Um, I think to back up first, it's like, how do you manage anyone? And I think mm. that the real answer to any of this is that there's no actual right or wrong answer. And if we looked at it as like, if we leverage situational leadership, which essentially says, given the task at hand and the person's competency and commitment to that task, it requires a different management style. Mm. So we'll take that out of the equation for the, like this conversation, but knowing like this could be I'll offer one way and it may not be the silver bullet, but I think it may be a helpful tip. Let's just say that. Perfect. Okay. So the diva, I love that this person is the rock star and wants to be treated like the rock star. This is, it sounds like this would be like the Beyonce on your team. This is the... <laughs> totally the Beyonce. <laughs> and it's like, we couldn't, sell as many records if we didn't have Beyonce on the team. Okay. So how to manage Beyonce. Beyonce, if you're listening, I'm open <laughs> to <laughs> managing you. Um, what I recognize is that it can't be a comparison game. Mm. So what's actually important in managing the diva is it's really easy to manage the diva because they want praise. They want to feel special. And that requires specific and consistent feedback. And positive? Positive and negative. Like they just want to know uh, how they're doing all the, all the time. time. Got it. And so that's short emails, that's check-ins, that's text messages. It's like constant communication with the diva actually works really well. Mm. And recognizing how they like to be recognized. Do they mm. want to be recognized in public or in private? Do they want to be recognized through gifts or rewards? Or do they like words of praise? It's really important to know that. What's the most important is if the diva's on a team, the rest of the team can't feel like their job is not valuable because the diva is so valuable. Mm. And so what I found to be the most successful in my experience is actually making sure that the other people feel just as important. And so how do you manage the diva? It's through that constant communication. And the most important thing to do is actually manage other people who are on the team with the diva. Naturally, sage advice from a team perspective. Um, as you were talking, I couldn't help but think, what if you're married to a diva? Oh. <laughs> oh, and if gosh. your husband's listening, I'm not implying <laughs> that you're married to a diva. I'm just, I mean, I think all things from work translate into every area totally. of our life. And as you were speaking, I mean, it wouldn't be uncommon for one partner in a relationship or in a marriage to be a diva. Totally. And I think that that's where I kind of hinted at it in terms of like knowing how that person wants mm. to receive feedback. It's like also important to know how your partner wants to receive love. And so the five love languages has been a really impactful book in my experience in terms of does my partner want to receive 
quality time, acts of service, praise, gifts, or physical touch. And knowing that, I'm like, oh, my partner likes this love language. And so I'm going to make sure that I cater my love language or my showing of love in this way. It's the same thing with managing a person. Like, I need to make sure that I'm catering my approach to how they receive recognition and and appreciation. Would you recommend the book for managers within the business world as well? Oh my gosh. Well, it's like if your love life works, Mm. then you're not trying to compensate for it not working at work. So it's like when your relationship at, when my relationship at home is on fire, I don't need to feel like I need to fix or prove myself or do anything at work. Just like that's my primary relationship. The one with my partner, the one with my family, when that works, everything else works. One of my favorite leaders used to say, when life works, work works. Mm -hmm. I like it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we like embody that, you know, when our relationship as siblings work first. Yeah. Then (laughs) more like when Steph works, then our business works. (laughs) Oh, I think that we all have our moods. Anyway, continue. So person one is the diva. Person two is the delinquent. Mm. And uh, the delinquent just isn't getting the job done. What I want to qualify this with, they might be going above and beyond and doing all of these extra awesome things, Mm. but they're not getting the job done. The delinquent Mm. could also be underperforming and should be fired. They're not getting the job done. What is your, what are your suggestions? And let's call it like underperformer or overly distracted. Mm. as like two qualities of this character of the delinquent okay um i want to know how you manage them and when you make the final call how i would manage is making sure that there's clear deliverables with conditions for success so for example if i was asking this person give me this report or this information by friday um what format do I want the report in? Mm. Am I asking for an Excel document? Mm. Am I asking for a PowerPoint presentation? So making sure that the condition for success, if it's this should be a finished PDF by Friday, Uh. that's clear. Or it's like, oh, I did my first draft by Friday. Right. So that I'm managing expectations, not necessarily to the detail all the time of this is how the work needs to get done. But um, what would be for me a condition for success that says like you've done this job successfully because that way we're managing the conversation of what getting the job done Mm. actually means. Okay. Um, If they're not meeting deadlines, if they're getting distracted, then this is where the prioritization at the beginning of a week actually Mm. comes into play because, you know, we do this at team Corker every Monday, we sit down and we map out our fir- our top three priorities for everyone on the team. And we go around and say what's going on. And if someone's working on something that actually isn't driving the business forward, or it doesn't need to be done this week, and there's something different, that's the conversation that we get into. And we take it from a team perspective, but that could be done at a one-on-one that could be done in um, an email format. So you can say, Hey, what are you doing this week? Here are my top three things. And you're like, great. Actually, I want you to be working on these two things first and then do those three things. Um, so that there's the conversation of prioritization. So again, it's like what the getting the job done actually looks like. It's important to clarify that. Then you get into the conversation of, okay, well, I've clarified expectations and I've also clarified prioritization and they're still not meeting 
the job requirements, um, that's when I think that conversations need to be had about their performance. And the interesting thing here is that based on industry and HR rules and all that, each company will have a different way of performance managing. And Mm -hmm. for me, what I found, regardless of the company that I worked at, was being able to sit down and say, this is how you're not meeting job expectations. And here are my expectations. And this is what I want to see you deliver in the next inserted time frame here in order to show. What is a realistic time frame? Well, I would say something like 30 to 40 days because it takes that long to build and develop a habit or to break a habit in this case. And really the key is after you have the conversation about their performance, whether it be at their team meeting or one-on-one, is to make sure that you type it up and send it to them in an email. Because once they see it in writing, that allows more clarity and alignment on what actually was said in the conversation. Sometimes what can happen is two people are in a conversation and one person walks away and is like, I'm performing so well. What a great check-in with my boss. And the other, the boss leaves being like, I was so clear about my expectations of my team member and they know that they need to shape up. So putting it in writing after the fact actually allows both parties to be super clear that performance needs to change. Um, This is also really helpful because if it, it does progress or their performance doesn't progress, I should say, um, it all, this email also acts as some needed HR paperwork down the road. Right. Um, so I hear that. And the thing that comes up for me is I can vividly remember managing some delinquents and it's not uncommon for a delinquent at their job to be, dare I say, the class clown or the keeper of the cultural flame. They are the the party bringer, they bring the fun to it. Mm. So how do you manage perhaps not being excellent at your job, but it's culture, bro. I mean, they're bringing heartbeats. Totally. And I think the big thing to keep in mind is what kind of culture are you cultivating? Hi. So are you cultivating a culture of poor performers? And is that the, like the, the way of operating at your company? Because if that's how you want to progress and if, if results don't matter, then great, like promote and reward these people that aren't performing. However, it's what behaviors go unchecked or the feedback that doesn't get given that actually tells people how to actually perform at the company. So the delinquents aren't, are, yes, like they're contributing to a culture, but like what culture what are they contributing? Culture. Yeah. That is so powerful. It's like just because you're the champion of the ping pong game might not mean you're getting your work done. Yeah. <laughs> Zing. All right. So beyond ping pong tables um, and, and timely in the world right now, be it on the West Coast here or the East Coast, is, is managing the dumper. <laughs> the dumper. And the dumper, uh, hopefully it's only the term that we have coined, um, the dumper is the person that lives for fresh tracks Mm. so when there is snow on the mountain they want to say peace out I want fresh tracks and give me the space I'll get the job done Mm. um what do you have to say about managing the dumper so I'll assume like the dumper is probably great at their job and they're like quick to bail is what I hear so what is really important is to make sure that you're clear in the recruiting process about what type of role you're 
hiring for. So do you think this is a hiring decision versus a performance management decision? I, I think it's a two-parter because mm. if at the beginning you say like some industries require you to be mm. at a desk, if you're in like say customer service right. and you needed to be at a desk or at a phone between 10 and 2 every single day and they're like, I got fresh tracks at one o'clock, you're like, that's not like, where was the communication breakdown in your expectations of this job? Now, if it's, um, the second thing is like, if you can work from anywhere or you have that flexibility and you are in an industry where you can work from home or you can work from anywhere, then it actually becomes how you manage that person on a day-to-day basis. And if you get the best out of that person after they've hit the, the slopes in the morning or gone to the gym in the afternoon or that at the lunchtime yoga class or like petting their dog at home in the afternoon, like, and then they come back and they're just alive for their job and they're such a contribution, then I think it's my job as a manager to actually figure out how to make sure that that works so that I get the best out of my employee. The caveat here is, is that equitable with the rest of my team? Mm. And so is everyone on my team able to do what they want to do to be at their best? Mm. So am I managing the introverts the same way to make sure that they have like alone time? Am I managing the people who are super social to have like walks in and lunches with people? Um, I need to be clear about job expectations up front and it's about managing the people. The interesting thing about in the conversation of hours and when you work and whatnot is I actually think that we, like I'm not a a proponent or an advocate for the nine to five by any means. I actually think we've become so um, like strict with ourselves. I'm like, I only work nine to five or I like, don't make me work nine to five. But after working in some industries, we know that, you know, if you're here in Vancouver and you have partners or vendors in Asia they don't wake up until six o'clock at night here in Vancouver. And so we actually need to start being more creative with the types of roles that we're hiring for, because maybe it's actually in the best interest of the individual to say, your job actually starts at six o'clock at night. And we're going to hire you to um, work in the evening because that's when you're going to be the most productive with all the partners. And we're not going to make you be in the office or be around at 8 a.m. the next morning because like that's not when you're going to do your best time. So I think that it just it just sparked a conversation around, you know, what what does hours look like mm-hmm. for a global organization? Yeah, I think there's a lot to this and it's a great example of not being um not clumping industries together because mm-hmm. if you do have a job that requires you to be at a desk for a certain period of time, that is one job. And if you have a job where you feel like there is flexibility, and for example, if you can work from home or I can work any hour, then I think managing the dumper becomes different because if you've said I can work from anywhere at any time, let me work from anywhere from any time. And if not, then let's be clear about that, in which point it's a hiring decision. And on the flip side, I love how you've articulated the introvert or the other types of people that need to work differently. And in fact, managing those people differently will get exceptional results. Um, And I really think it comes down to a manager being highly communicative and, and open um, to appreciate that, you know, the dumper, the introvert, the extrovert might not be like the manager at all. Totally. um, And figuring out the, the ways in which to get the same remarkable results.
and also what it looks like to be honest about the non-negotiables. So like our Monday morning meetings, non-negotiable, right? Like these are things that are so critical to our success as a team. And like we plan around those and then other things can move and there's flexibility um, to allow plans to change, you know? Totally. I love it. All right. Well, speaking of the weather, weather dependent people are never my favorite type of people because weather dependent people often set goals that are weather dependent. And I'm like, Mm. no, (laughs) you can't do that. Goals are not weather dependent. Um, Where was I going with this? I wanted to talk about the fact that you don't want to hire people that are weather dependent. That's really it. (laughs) You don't want to manage weather dependent people and you don't want to hire weather dependent people. Totally. And so I think for us in like our work, it's really about making sure that we're honest in our hiring process. And once you hire them, it's your responsibility to manage them. So, and each person is different. So even though we've like lumped them into these three categories, it's like every individual needs an individual approach. Totally. Yeah. And what I love is as we wrap this, I look back and think one person can in fact be the diva, the delinquent, and the dumper <laughs> all in one. Yeah. So it's not to say that these are siloed <laughs> totally. people. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's important. Like people can be more than one type of person that you're managing. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Um, I think that wraps this and we end all of our podcasts with our rapid fire question. What is making your heart beat faster these days, bro? Um, oh, this, these days it's, I'm getting really excited to do, um, the being a leader course in Edmonton. So I'm jumping on a plane next week, flying off to Edmonton. Um, and it's just a good reminder for me that like, I'm studying new articles and I'm reading things and it allows me to be not necessarily more empathetic, but like in the work with people as I'm like leading other organizations and other teams in their work. So it's like, I'm with you. I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like to be in a practice or learn something new. So I'm really excited to like be in it right now. That's awesome. What about you? Heartbeat faster. Um, For the record, anybody listening, Matt Corker does not fly to Edmonton very often. (laughs) (laughs) Normally he's en route to LA in some capacity or New York. And so I really love that he's off to Edmonton. In Canada, sometimes we call it Deadminton (laughs) because it's dead cold right now. Um, what's making my heart beat faster is I'm, I'm a super dumper right now. I am obsessed with skate skiing and when there's fresh tracks, I want to be in the snow and it's actually making me like tweak. I want to work all weekends so I can ski on Tuesday. Um, and maybe I should work all weekend and not ski at all, but I'm digging, I'm digging the skate skiing. Awesome. Well, we, thanks for a really great little interview today. This was so cool. More soon. More soon.